<laughs> All right, Dr. Kiran, welcome. Um, a local New York City. Um, I'm your your neighbor essentially on the Upper West Side, and you are in Flatiron, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So um, for our New Yorkers and anyone who wants to do an online consultation, this is something um, that you guys are doing at your practice. Anyhow, I'm super excited to have you because nutrition is your base and are your foundation. And I have a huge spot in my heart for nutrition. Um, but now you do something else. So tell. Uh, now I practice dermatology, so which is very related to nutrition in the sense that our skin manifests what we put inside our bodies along with what we put our bodies through as far as stress, pregnancy, having a baby, postpartum, all of those things affect our skin. So yeah, I'm a dermatologist in New York City. I practice medical and aesthetic dermatology. My background is in nutrition. That's what I have my bachelor's degree in. And that sort of sparked my interest in how we feel as far as overall wellness. Um, And I love dermatology because I love to connect with people as far as how they feel about themselves. So when it came to medicine, I was deciding what kind of medicine I want to go into. And I kind of went into medical school just knowing that I love derm because the skin is such a window for what's going on inside the body and how we feel about ourselves and how we interact with others. So how we identify ourselves to other people. Um, So that's why I do what I do. Awesome. And you have a specific degree in dermatology? Yeah. So the way that you become a dermatologist, you complete your bachelor's degree and then you go on to medical school. And so I have... um, better known as MD, but I'm a DO, which is doctor of osteopathic medicine, which is very, very similar to MD. We just take a couple of extra classes to learn about manipulative medicine along with, um, a holistic approach to medicine. And so once you finish medical school, then you specialize and you go into your respective fields, whether that's pediatrics or cardiology. So I chose dermatology and then you do four years of what we call residency in your designated field. So I did four years of hands-on training in dermatology. I did that through Western University in Southern California. And that's when you really learn skin because in medical school, you learn like two weeks of skin, right, <laughs> in your textbooks. But in residency, those four years, that's when you're seeing patients every day with faculty members, hands-on, learning in real time, in real life, what the skin entails. And by the time you're done, you can look at something in one second, diagnose it, or sometimes it's more complicated and you need to do further testing. And um, But yeah, you kind of hit the ground running once you finish residency. It blows my mind because obviously you are a very, like you know everything about skin because when I, I look at you and I'm like, she looks so young. You're, you're just like, <laughs> and so I, you clearly know what you're talking about. <laughs> I must be a good dermatologist. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you're a walking billboard for yourself. Uh, yeah, it's just, I've always had an interest in skincare. Um, I actually started in college. I worked part-time at Sephora as like a cosmetic consultant and I would play with the makeup. I did some freelance makeup work and then I really got into skincare. I would see all the products in the store and look at the ingredients. And that's when I started becoming familiar with like salicylic acid and glycolic acid and retinols and what they do. And I just found it so fascinating And I remember I had a friend that was a chemist or majoring in chemistry at the time. We were still in college. 
And um, she was like, you know, one day I'm going to make a skincare line and you're going to be the face of it. And that was like our, our <laughs> thing. And, and it's amazing because we're both doing what we love. So That's amazing. That really is. Fun. It's incredible. It's so cool to see through. So on that note then, what um, I hear, I'm horrible personally when it comes to skin stuff because I'm like, well, I'd rather work out or I don't know. Like I drink enough water. I'm okay. Even though mm -hmm. clearly that's you know, that's not the answer. Um, what is, what's up with this thing that I hear that to use foundation because it helps, it's good for you, obviously, especially if it has SPF, but what if you just use a face lotion with SPF? Is foundation actually good for you or it depends what's in it or what's the general rule on that? Um, I don't think foundation is necessarily good or bad for your skin. First of all, I'll say you have great skin, so you're you're doing all the right things. Um, a lot of skin is genetics, so genetically, you're predispositioned to have a certain type of skin, and some people need to do a little bit more to get to where they want to be, and some people don't need to do as much. And uh, but everybody can have great skin. It's just a matter of learning what works for you, right, based on your genetics and your environment and lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'll say that, but when it comes to foundation, it's not necessarily good or bad for your skin, as long as you're making sure to remove it at the end of the night. So mm -hmm. as long as you are using the appropriate facial cleanser, whether that's micellar water and then a cleanser or double cleansing or using like a cleansing oil, um, as long as you're making sure to get all the makeup off before you go to sleep so that it doesn't clog your pores. That's the key thing. And with clogging pores, how often would you recommend doing, um, uh... Because in, I don't know about, I'm assuming LA, Florida, you know, like big cities, especially in New York, I feel like people are always doing the latest and greatest. You know, I have my weekly facial or I have my this, that. What is, mm -hmm. what's healthy? What's kind of generally, I guess, a rule of thumb of what's okay for how often or frequently should these types of things be done? That's a really good question. So by things, are you referring to facials? Yeah. Yeah. So... Facials are great. I like them. Um, it's important to find someone that's doing your facial that kind of gets familiar with your skin types so that you don't cause too much irritation. Um, the way I describe facials is maybe not everyone will like this, but I, they're kind of like a blowout for your hair. Uh, okay. Like your hair looks really good after a blowout for the next few days. Right. But then when you wash it, it goes back to the way that it naturally is. Mm -hmm. And so a facial can be great for your skin, can help to decongest, get out all the pores, brighten your skin. Um, but you also should have a daily regimen that you're using in conjunction with those facials. If that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Um, and so on that same, pushing that, I think, envelope a little bit further, I've heard and I hear, and I think that you do, you probably do some of these because you also are in aesthetics, right? So you do Botox, you, mm -hmm. you do all these things, which it's a day and age where it's, it's necessary. This is thing, you know, women are doing it or girls for that matter are doing it. And so it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's part of it. And I get that, but this is so two parts of this question. One, is there some sort of preventative, not necessarily Botox, but like a peel or microneedling or some preventative type of thing mm -hmm. um, that you would recommend that's just good? Like baseline for everyone. Absolutely. Number one would be sun protection. So 
everyone should protect their skin from the sun and wear sunscreen because the sun is what causes denaturation of our collagen. Um, it causes enlarging of our pores. It can cause skin cancer, damage the DNA of our skin. Um, and so that's why everyone should be wearing a sunscreen. I would say at least SPF 30. And the one thing that I find a lot of people don't know is that sunscreen doesn't last all day. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned SPF in your foundation. Um, great reason to wear foundation. You get your SPF on, but that SPF that you're putting on in your foundation in the morning is only lasting for about two hours or so. Wow. And so, yeah. So if you, you know, put it on before getting to work at nine, great. You're um, protected for your morning commute. By the time it's lunchtime and you step out of your office to go for lunch, that SPF is not working anymore. And so that's why you want to reapply. So not just reapplying when we're at the beach, but yeah. reapplying in our everyday life. And the way that we do that, especially for women or men, if we wear makeup, is um, they make powder sunscreens. So they're super easy to use. It's like um, there's ones that are in like a brush, like a stick with a brush at the end and you just dust it on. There's compacts that are translucent powder that mm -hmm. you can apply over your makeup throughout the day. So that's something that everyone should be doing. In addition to that, I would say retinoids and antioxidants are the place to start. So retinoids is an umbrella term. There's retinol, which is over the counter. And then there's tretinoin and other ones that are prescription strength. <laughs> um, but in general, retinoids, what they do, they help to increase skin cell turnover. So they'll help to exfoliate your skin. They'll help to stimulate collagen production. We all actually, once we get into our mid-20s, we start to lose 1% of collagen a year, just wow. naturally. That's crazy. Yeah. And so that's why. I would say once you're in your mid-20s or so when you're conscientious of this, you may want to start using a retinoid. It's going to protect your skin and it's going to help to maintain the integrity of your skin, the integrity of your collagen. Our pores are actually small channels in our skin that are held tight by collagen and elastin. And that's what gets denatured with chronic sun exposure. And so using a retinoid is going to help to keep that nice and strong to keep your pores nice and tight. That's also a common question, like, how do I shrink my pores? Mm -hmm. um, so a retinoid is pretty much your answer, along with keeping your pores nice and open mm -hmm. by using something like a salicylic acid um, along with a retinoid. But yeah, I would say a retinoid and sunscreen, everyone should be using that. If you want to mm -hmm. take it a step further, you can add an antioxidant serum. So along with the sun, the environment, pollution also damages our skin. It creates free radicals in our skin. And this connects to diet. So eating antioxidants also benefits your skin. So berries, um, vitamin C, so citrus fruits are really going to help fight the free radicals that form in our skin so that we don't build damage. Um, and so using some type of antioxidant, like a vitamin C serum, along with your retinoid and sunscreen, I think is what everyone, I don't want to say everyone should be doing because I don't like to blanket, mm -hmm. you know, it's a very, skincare is a very individualized yeah. thing, but in general, those are good rules of thumb. And what do you think about collagen? People are taking it, you know, now is the supplement or is pit, like, is there? So they've actually done studies and the evidence is on either side. So wow. some studies show that it works. Some studies show that it doesn't work. So pretty much the jury is still out when it comes to these collagen powders. Um, my suggestion would be is, you know, try it if, if you want to see if it makes a difference for you. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily break my bank for it. I think there's other mm -hmm. treatments and products that you can use that are tried and true and proven to work that, you know, depending on your budget, you may want to invest more time and effort into. Mm -hmm. um, but it's fun to try these things as long as it's not harmful for you, as long as you're doing it in moderation. And so if you want to try it and see if it works, sure. But I wouldn't 
you know, hang my hat on it necessarily. The jury's still out when it comes to evidence for that. And with, um, so everything that you mentioned, it seems like they're, you know, they're kind of like the baseline, like these are the thing, like the basic markers. Mm -hmm. You want to have healthy skin. You want to take care of your skin. These are the few things that you can do. But what about on top of that? Like, you know, cause I know a lot of some guys, but mostly, you know, females who say, oh, I got to get this peel and I do this and I do like all these things. Yeah. And I've heard of a lot, like I just hear of, um, microneedling with collagen. I hear of this chemical peel. I hear love, you know, I hear of so many things. Is it just dependent on their skin or what their goal is? Like they want to get rid of, you know, some spot or. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. So I recommend everyone like for people to, if they're interested in these kinds of things to have an evaluation with a dermatologist, someone that you trust that will be able to evaluate your skin, talk to you about your goals, what concerns you the most. Like some people they're like, I just hate this one line, you mm -hmm. know, where some people are like, my jowls really bother me. So, and, <clears throat> and skincare is very personal, you know, nobody can tell you what you should or should not look like. And so I think, it would be beneficial to get evaluated by a dermatologist that can discuss with you what your concerns are and come up with a plan for you. And that plan should be things that you're doing every day and things that you're doing throughout the months or years. So things like, depending on what your concerns are, mm -hmm. if you have acne, if you have a lot of congestion, a chemical peel or periodic chemical peels might be good for you to help unblock your pores, along with using a retinoid in your weekly regimen, right? Um, lasers can work really well for acne too. Um, so can microneedling works really well for acne scars, along <laughs> with some lasers that can work for acne scars. So the conversation that I have with my patients is in-depth. We do an hour-long appointment where we talk about their concerns and all of their treatment options. Budget goes into it because mm. there's varying price points of all of these things, along with lifestyle. Some people say, you know, I'd love to do the laser that you're talking about, but I don't have five days to, you know, have recovery time. You know, what's something that I can just go back to work the next day? And we have those treatment options too. So it all depends. I think talking to someone that you trust, number one, because, I mean, it's important to trust the person that you're talking to because you're putting your skin in their hand. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, finding out what regimen is right for you, I think, is key. And with regimens, um, having had a baby recently, a question that I received from girlfriends, and even I'm, you know, I was thinking about it, like, oh, well, maybe I want to do, maybe I want to get Botox, or maybe I want to, you know, I want to do whatever. And then I was breastfeeding for a while and I actually spoke, I'm not going to say who, um, but there was a doctor and I don't even know if it's allowed or not, but this is kind of to verify. Can you get, are there things that you can get or you, everything is strictly off limits while you are pregnant and, or when you're breastfeeding, right? Because I've heard different things and I feel like to me, all of it's off limits, you know, during that time, because it's going like why even risk it? But mm -hmm. some people, you know, they really, they heavily rely on these looks or whatever it is, these, you know, fillers, I don't know, whatever's going on. Um, mm -hmm. So they don't, they don't have 10 or 11 or 12 or a year, months, a year or whatever to not get these things. Yeah. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> I think 
first considering that for some people, for everyone, I mean, the way that we look is really important to us, you know? And so to, you want to always look and feel like yourself, especially during a transition time when you've developed this whole new identity, like becoming a mom, right? And all your effort and love and energy is now going into another human being. I'm sure you can speak to this, how you completely change, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so you want (laughs) to hold on to some part of yourself. So, and I totally understand that. That being said, as you mentioned, why risk it, right? So there's a lot of things that, are kind of in the gray zone, but when it comes to pregnancy and breastfeeding, I think most dermatologists agree that we err on the side of caution. Mm -hmm. So there are certain things that have been clinically shown to be safe in pregnancy and certain things that are not safe. And then Mm -hmm. certain things that we don't know because we haven't tried it because we don't want to take that risk, right? Um, So things that are not safe in pregnancy is things like Botox, Um, I don't do Botox or filler injections in someone that's pregnant. Um, lasers, you might think like, well, what does a laser have to do with pregnancy? But we just, again, because it hasn't been studied, we are on the side of caution. Mm -hmm. There are certain things that are safe in pregnancy. Like azelaic acid, for example, is an ingredient that is used for acne and also to lighten brown spots, perfectly safe in pregnancy. It's also really good for rosacea perfectly safe in pregnancy. You can continue to use that. Glycolic acid is an exfoliant that you can continue to use during pregnancy and breastfeeding. Um, but salicylic acid is a, is a no, you know, we don't use that when we're pregnant. So it depends on the ingredient and what I do for my patients. Um, once they tell me that they're planning, you know, to trying to start having a baby or once Mm -hmm. they're pregnant or if they're breastfeeding, we fine tune their routine to find what would work for them, mm-hmm. what would be safe for them to use, what they're comfortable using, and then what we should kind of hold off on until they're done breastfeeding. Right. So that's kind of how I approach it. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting to hear, and especially now with, you know, social media, and you, you know, you see these girls who just, they, they bounce back, and they're breastfeeding, and then you see they still, like, their lips, like, every, as soon as they're, you know, have the baby, you see that they get their lips done, and they get, and you're just like, like okay whatever like it's just it's very Mm -hmm. interesting because you know people put themselves out there to be judged essentially when they go on social media so then having a baby like being a mom you're judged like way more than ever in your life Mm -hmm. so it's Mm -hmm. very interesting it is and a lot of things too right like are you breastfeeding did you try hard enough because breastfeeding is really hard oh my god it's so hard yeah you can speak to this it's it's really hard um and so yeah women are judged and moms are judged a lot it's wild more so than than needed yeah um Are there any specific supplements that you'd suggest? I mean, we talked about collagen, but anything else mm-hmm. that you'd say, like, you know, are you hear like fish oil or I don't know, yeah. biotin or, you know, are there anything that you'd suggest that's good? And how do you know about the quality of it? Because I feel like there's such a range of price points. Yeah. And it's like, well, should I get the expensive one or the cheap one or? Mm-hmm. Um, my rule of thumb is actually eating a well-balanced whole food based diet Mm -hmm. so that you're getting the proper nutrients. And then you can always add supplements if you want to. But the things that I have my patients focus on in their diet is omega threes, 
um, good cholesterols, things like the good fats that are found in salmon, avocado, walnuts, Mm -hmm. antioxidants. We talked about berries, um, oranges, citrus fruits, lemon water, I think is amazing for the skin. Um, So these types of foods, I feel help to benefit skin foods that I have my patients avoid, depending, but let's say you're acne prone, you may want to avoid dairy because that can be Mm -hmm. pro-inflammatory and sugar. Mm -hmm. So sugar is actually really not good for you at all. It, um, (laughs) it affects your blood vessels. I mean, besides just gaining weight and like, you know, we, we all want to have a nice physique or whatnot, but besides that sugar is, is not that good for your health. It, it, um, glycosylates or it affects your blood vessel walls, your skin cells. Um, so decreasing, uh, foods with high glycemic index and sticking to foods with low glycemic index, like honey is a, is a good sweetener to switch to instead of using like white sugar, mm-hmm. right? So that's kind of what I focus on in my practice. Um, beyond that, using supplements, how to know if one is good and one is not, it's tough. There's no FDA guidelines for that. You know, when it comes to supplements, people can write whatever they want on the bottle and you don't really know if it's true or not. They don't have to prove it. So I would say, looking for things that have ingredients that are more whole and less of the fluff, less of the, mm-hmm. less of the mm-hmm. chemicals and things that you don't necessarily need. Um, but I personally really don't take that many supplements. I just focus on my diet. Vitamin D is really good for your skin and that's actually hard to find. A lot of people are vitamin D deficient genetically mm-hmm. because of certain enzymes that we have or don't have. And so I think vitamin D is a good supplement to take. Um, Zinc can be very healing. Um, And so I do like that for the skin. And then beyond that, I focus on diet. Yeah, I think that I really, the last thing I want to talk about is COVID. But Mm -hmm. I think that you bring such a good point because, you know, and I don't know, I don't, I don't know why, and it might just be because I've been—I was in fitness and nutrition, and I like all like I really appreciate all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But it feels like, and I don't know if you, and we can cut this out, obviously, um, cl- cut this little clip out. But um, those are two like really important ingredients to this to keeping your, your immune system safe, and three for that matter, the nutrition aspect. So the third ingredient would be that. And I don't understand why it's not something that's talked about. Like they say, wash your hands, wear a mask. Okay, fine. Fine. That's easy. But why not talk, tell people, hey, maybe you should take these vitamins or hey, maybe you should be eating whole foods and stack McDonald's. Like, yeah, I don't understand that. I don't either. <laughs> and I will say I work at an integrative practice. Um, it's a multi-specialty practice and my colleagues are integrative family medicine doctors and they focus a lot on nutrition and um, supplements and things like that. Mm. One thing that I started taking since COVID, since the beginning of COVID, is uh, elderberry. Mm, yeah. That's been shown to increase, boost your immune system. The zinc is mm-hmm. recent for me since COVID. Um, so I agree with you. I don't know why we don't focus on it. I think it's because this is sad to say, but Americans, it's like beating a dead horse. Like our diets as a country are so bad. Terrible. Processed foods and fast foods. And I think it's what 
they push out um, due to public policy and money. Like they're the sponsors. They, they back all these things. So I guess that's what it is, but it's like the other day we drove past, it was a, I think it was Burger King. I don't know. One of those places. And it was like 14 chicken nuggets, a buck 49. And my husband and I were like, nothing about that's chicken. Like, yeah. And why is it, why is that cheaper than a salad? Like, why is a salad $15 and you can get 20 chicken nuggets for $1.49? I don't get it. I don't, I don't either. But unfortunately, I think it's because of money. Okay. Okay. So, um, but I agree with you that in the healthcare industry, we should focus on it more. And I do follow some, uh, physicians on social media that, try to focus more on health from a nutrition and fitness standpoint, as opposed to from a pharmaceutical standpoint, right. which again, we could go into as far as why we focus on pharmaceuticals. Money. That's a whole other thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and with your um, osteopathic way, that's mm-hmm. much more holistic. That's much more on that side. So it makes like, I it thoroughly appreciate it. I am all about it. Um, so that's why I think that, that's why I was so curious to hear what you, what your thoughts and take on this whole thing was because, um, yes, there are other things that we can do, but I feel like those are also easy. It's hard for people to make new habits and, you know, be healthy. It's easier just to say, Oh, wash your hands and wear a mask and stand six feet away. But to really heal yourself from within, that would be to me, the answer or part of it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I did hear it a little bit like, oh, we should exercise because that will boost our immune system like during the beginning of, of COVID-19. But I didn't hear it enough as I, as I, as we should have. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I mean, and whatever, that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so what else was I going to ask you? Um, um what are some of the most common myths that you hear? Like questions from your clients or like. Oh, there's so many. Let me think. Um, common myths. Well, sunscreen. Some people say that sunscreen is bad for you. Um, it's not necessarily bad for you. It's just that a chemical sunscreen may not agree with your skin as much as a physical sunscreen. Um, when does the sunscreen actually stop? Right. Because it go, you can get sunscreens. It's like a hundred, but it only prevents up to like, was it 55 or something? I don't know. So SPF 30 is, I forget the exact number, but SPF 30 is about 97% effective or something like that. Anything beyond that is negligibly more so effective, like 97 point whatever. So that's why I stick to SPF 30. Anything higher than that is going to, by its nature, be a little bit more thicker, a little bit less user-friendly. So I think SPF 30 is fine as long as you're reapplying. And the way that you actually apply SPF is you need a quarter-sized amount per a certain body area. So you should apply a layer and then kind of wait a few minutes for it to dry and then apply a second layer for it to truly be effective. That's why I also stress to my patients to wear things like long sleeve, like UV UV protective clothing, Mm -hmm. a hat, sit in the shade, things like that. Take an umbrella with you to the beach because sunscreen is just that, right? It's just a screen. It can only do so much. Right. Um, So, yeah. Think of other myths. Um, 
I do these myth busters. Like I try to do it once a week. Well, I really like totally your, um, what, the one that you talked about with gray hair. You want to touch on that one a little? Yeah, sure. Um, so a couple myths about gray hair. Some people say that when you pull it out, seven more will grow at its place. So that's not true, actually. Um, and gray hair is actually not necessarily associated with old age, or that's not the only cause. The reason why gray hair happens is because the melanocytes, melanocytes are cells that are located at the base of our hair follicle. And they're the ones that create melanin, which gives our hair pigment. Those melanocytes sometimes get tired of making pigment and they stop. And so that's why our hair turns gray. Um, and that happens in some people at an earlier age than others. And it's just a genetic propensity. Um, what other gray why? hair myths This is a, um, only because I have a kid, so I see her hair. Mm -hmm. So it was, it really has changed colors. What do you think that is? Yeah. Like, so it's just the melanocytes that are, forming and then or that she had and then now they are creating a different kind of melanin so there's two different kinds of melanin eumelanin and pheomelanin and somebody that only has pheomelanin those are the redheads so redheads mm. don't have as much eumelanin eumelanin is in the brown and blondes um and so the degree of what which kind your melanocytes are making changes um you know when you're a baby and then as, as you grow it, it changes a little bit it's so interesting because, like, yeah. I see it. At one point, then, obviously, this is my, like, I've never dyed my hair or anything. And my husband's is also very dark. And I hers was, mm -hmm. like, reddish, blondish. And I'm like, yeah. whose kid is this? And really? now, it's, yeah. now it's a little darker. And I'm like, I think it will get darker. But it's, it's just really interesting how it kind of, like shifts. Yeah. yeah. So it might get darker. Her melanocytes might start making more melanin as time goes on. Very interesting. Um, hmm. Anything else you're working on? Um, I know that you were building your website and, um, mm -hmm. all this good stuff. What else? So I am right now working on, I have my Instagram that I try to post educational things on there, try to spread positivity. I do some mentorship with residents and med students, things like that. Um, I just made a TikTok. <laughs> still learning how to use it. It's really fun because you can get creative on there, but it's also technically difficult. Um, so I'm still trying to figure out those nuances. What is your um, TikTok handle? It's a uh, Dr. Neon Skin. Okay. Yeah. I don't have, but I will include a link so people can because I everyone's on it. I'm just slow. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, so I have that. I'm working on my website, so that should be out mid-March. I'm really excited about it because um, it's going to have just a lot of skincare information, my favorite products that I recommend, um, my thoughts on the latest trends that come out, which we talked about, um, and then I'll have a blog on there too, along with a monthly newsletter for my patients and, and just people that are interested in learning different things about skincare. Um, and then I recently joined Clubhouse, which is um, an app with, it's like audio chat. Um, and I'm finding it really useful. So Clubhouse is different rooms and they're all, you know, certain categories. So I've listened to some about entrepreneurship or some about women in healthcare. Um, uh, dermatologists have a couple of rooms on there where we talk about all things skin. So it's been really interesting. Very cool. Um, I just thought of something that one of my pregnant moms was asking me about, she's like, oh, you're going to talk to a dermatologist, skin doctor, ask. Yeah. Which is, 
Stretch marks. Mm. Mm. I have my theory on it. I'm not mm-hmm. a professional. Um, mm-hmm. But I think a lot of it's genetics. And I also think that it just is what it is. Like I said, well, mm-hmm. you know, they're kind of your your battle wounds. Just own them. But are there things or, you know, like, because when women are pregnant, they're slathering on every other lotion or, you know, yeah. I think also different countries have different traditions. One woman mm-hmm. who's from France was saying that they wrap, you know, they do the oil and then they wrap it in saran wrap and it just uh-huh. keeps it and it doesn't get all over mm-hmm. everything. So mm-hmm. thoughts? Um, stretch marks are... Yes, you have a genetic propensity to have them or to develop them. They obviously happen because the skin is getting stretched in um, in a short period of time, right? And you can even get stretch marks. Kids can get them when they go through a growth spurt, right? Mm-hmm. Or you can get them when you lose weight. So when skin shrinks, you can get stretch marks. It's simply the collagen underneath that's getting stretched and pulled in a manner that's that's quicker. So to prevent them... It's tough. I would say that there's no magical cream that you should spend all your money to buy. Keeping your skin hydrated will help. And so you want to start early. I would say as soon as you find out you're pregnant, that's when you want to start just massaging a moisturizer into your skin, something with ceramide, something with natural moisturizing factor. Like I love CeraVe or Eucerin. You can use vitamin E, um, some people like coconut oil, things like that. I think all of those things are fine as long as you're doing it in a consistent way and keeping the skin hydrated, keeping the skin's integrity nice and strong. And then once you have them, to treat them, we are still working on it in terms of innovation. So I would say the two ingredients that have been clinically shown to help stretch marks is retinoids as well as something called, and I'm going to say it wrong, but it's sit. Centinella asiatica. So the second word is asiatica. So it's like centinella asiatica. That's an ingredient that's combined with retinoids mm-hmm. and certain creams um, that has been shown to help. Um, there's a newer technology called microneedling with radio frequency. That's actually been shown to improve stretch marks as well. Um, but it's a trial and error kind of thing. I wouldn't guarantee any treatment method as, oh, this is perfect for stretch marks and it's going to make them go away Mm -hmm. because it's just the structure of the skin has changed. Mm -hmm. And so to bring it back to the way it was is, is, is difficult. So I would say we're still working on that innovation, um, or that technology, but I agree with you as far as this is something that your body went through. It's a beautiful process to give you this beautiful creature now. And, um, you know, owning yourself is a large part of the skincare journey, accepting yourself, being happy with who you are. It, it really shows and it really helps you to feel good about your skin. Definitely. Um, something feeling, feeling good about your skin Something that I, what is your thought? What are your thoughts on poking and popping? Um, or is there just something that you would suggest putting on? Like there's that old, I don't know if it's even a thing or if I made it up, but putting toothpaste on it because it dries it out. Are you talking about acne? Yeah. 
Oh, um, don't poke. Don't poke and pop, please. <laughs> That's my thought on it. Don't. <laughs> um, so when you manipulate acne spots, there's already inflammation there. Squeezing it, it's causing more inflammation. That's what causes the dark marks. That's what causes scarring. So you really want to refrain, which I know is really hard because it's so satisfying. What I recommend is instead of going at it, get some of your acne medicine and just dab that on there. And it'll make you feel like you did something without causing more damage, right? Um, and then come on in and see me and we'll put a little bit of like an anti-inflammatory medication in there to help calm it down. Another trick is you can crush aspirin, dissolve in, a, in, in water and take like a cotton pad and apply it on there to kind of decrease the inflammation. Um, but yeah, picking at it, it, it's tough to not do, but it's only going to cause permanent scarring, which takes a long time and money to reverse. So I definitely encourage my patients not to pick. And you, what do you, um, you know, those really deep ones, like the really, mm -hmm. those, the painful ones, what are those from? That's hormonal acne usually. So if, a, if pimples that are underneath the skin and they're really painful when you press them and when you squeeze it, like nothing comes out because they're so deep, that is actually, um, that's most likely hormonal acne. Hormonal acne happens usually in the lower face, mm -hmm. jaw, chin area, although I have seen it kind of migrate up to the cheeks. That happens because, so we talked about how the pores are channels in the skin and the oil gland is located at the base of that pore. Our oil glands have hormone receptors on them. So when the hormone binds, it causes the oil gland to produce more oil. But if there's a blockage there, then the oil can't get out. And so it causes inflammation. So those deeper ones are due to hormone stimulation of that oil gland. Um, to treat that, I typically recommend medications that can help block that receptor. You also want to focus on a super low sugar diet, like a very low glycemic index diet, because sugar can also increase that inflammation process, that hormone binding process. So interesting. Um, it's really a, they're so, it's just such a, it's science. It really is. It's incredible. And the other, the last thing I think probably, because I obviously can keep, I have so many questions. I can keep coming. <laughs> I could talk about this all day. I love <laughs> Is, um, tattoos, mm -hmm. removals. Yeah. Do you do it? <laughs> so I don't have the laser in this office here to do tattoo removal, but tattoo removal is possible. So if you get a tattoo that you want to remove, what you do is look for someone that has a, or a dermatologist that has a laser that is um, used for this, what it does. So tattoo ink is deposited deep into the dermis in the, um, so the skin has different layers. There's the epidermis and then there's the dermis and then subcutaneous fat underneath. So tattoo ink is found in that second, the dermal layer. In order to get to that pigment, lasers need to be able to go get to that depth and they need to kind of uh, punch it to break apart that pigment. And so ideally you want some type of Q-switched laser. Q-switched lasers, they break the laser beam duration so that that laser energy goes hits it really fast because that way, like a slow punch, delivers less force than a really fast, quick punch, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so that's what you want to look for is a laser that's used for tattoo removal will likely be Q-switched or there's others. Um, and it's painful, <laughs> but uh, it's it's doable and a lot of people do it and, and they work really well. 
Very interesting. Um, I'm super bouncy, so I'm going to bounce back to your website. You <laughs> you mentioned it, that it will be coming out, but what is, what's the name of it? I don't think I have a URL, URL yet. I think it's going to be um, most likely my name, drkiranneon.com. Okay. Um, yeah, she's still building it. Um, me and Stephanie, she's amazing. Stephanie Cullen, she's, I love her work. I'm so excited for this website. Um, if that's taken, it'll be drneonskin.com, okay. which is my Instagram handle. But I'll definitely make sure to link it on my Instagram as mm -hmm. soon as it comes out. Cool. Um, awesome. So I'll include those links here, the click-throughs. Um, anything else you want to share? Um, I just want to say thank you so much for having me. I truly love these discussions and conversations about skin because I think um, as women, we're really interested in learning more about this, but we don't always know where to go. There's so much information out there online when it, when it comes to skin. And then there's so much marketing around mm -hmm. the topic between all the like the million products that are out there. And so I think it's important to find sort of a home, your skin home, a place where you go to, to get your questions answered and to understand, like own the philosophy of, I don't have to try everything. Mm -hmm. I don't have to have a 20 step skincare routine, you know, really going back to the basics, simplifying things, finding what works for you is half of it. And then the other half is owning yourself, being happy with yourself. And I think that includes nutrition and exercise because that's part of holistic living. Um, so I think that's, that's kind of my skincare philosophy. Totally. And then for, because of that, you made me think of one last question, I promise. Sure. Which is how long, what is the time frame that you would suggest when a, a woman, a man, whoever tries a new product, they yeah. are in that trial stage. What's kind of the duration of, okay, we should stick with That's it or we really should change? a really good question. Yeah. So I tell my patients, it takes one skin cell at least 30 days to go from that bottom layer of skin and work its way to the top and get wow. shut off. So the skin cycle is slow and that's just one skin cell. So if you're going to try a new product, I say to give it at least six to eight weeks before you decide if it's even working. So my skincare patients, I usually see them back in eight weeks where we can go over things and see what's working, what's not. Um, and I would say if you're starting to see improvement at six weeks, then keep going because that improvement is going to build upon itself and it's kind of exponential. So it starts off slow, but then it builds faster. Um, so I would give her product at least six to eight weeks. But if you get an adverse reaction, meaning if you break out in a rash or something, then by all means, stop using it. Um, but yeah, as far as to see if something's working and doing what it's supposed to do, I would give it six to eight weeks. Cool. Awesome. Well, um, thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Ariel. It was so nice talking to you. Of course. My pleasure.